you know, as we were finishing up that song, I had to ask myself, you know, better is one day in your course than a thousand elsewhere. As Martin Square, is that the place that I would rather be than anywhere else in the world? I mean, is it really? You know, we've been in a series, and a pretty tough series at that, entitled Practical Atheists. And how do you know if you're a practical atheist? Well, sort of like if you know if you're a redneck, you know, you may be a redneck if you believe you've got a set of matching luggage if you have two shopping bags from the same store. You may be a redneck if you go to, if you think Taco Bell is a Mexican phone company. You may be a redneck if you get stopped by a straight trooper and he asks you if you had any idea. And you say, about what? It's going to take, you'll figure that out later today. You may be a redneck if you think possum is the other white meat. This one's for Keith. You may think you're, be a redneck if you think fast food is hitting a possum going 65 miles an hour. Well, we're headed to the land of rednecks. We're going to Harrisonburg, Virginia. That's where Mennonite rednecks come from for our son's wedding this weekend. And he is a redneck because you drive through a creek to get to his house. So if you see him, you can tell him I said that. But, you know, on a more serious note, you know, this whole thing of practical atheism and what that is and, and why, why this series has been so hard and, and why you may have thought at times that I, was, that I was angry or preaching down at you. It's not that I'm angry. It's just this is something I'm very passionate about. This is something that, that I believe as I, as I look at the church uh, in America today and, and see what's going on, I see a form of godliness in many cases. I see people that, that, that go to church, that do all the right stuff, but, but as we talked about, you know, you may be a Christian atheist if you believe in God, but you don't fear him. You know, you may be a Christian atheist if you believe in God, but, but you don't feel forgiven, and as a result, you don't forgive other people. You may be a Christian atheist if you believe in God, but, but you don't want to go overboard. You know, you don't want to get too excited about God. You may be a Christian atheist if you believe in God, and yet you trust in things. And here's the thing for us to think about, you know, especially as parents. And if we are living the life of a practical atheist, you know, believing in God, but living as if he doesn't exist, we're going to hand that down to our children. And we're one generation away from, from, from America, not people in America, not believing in God. Not that he is not the most important thing in their lives. A practical atheist is someone who believes in God, but lives as if he doesn't exist. And as I look around, I see us being more concerned about how our child does in the batter's box than how he is growing spiritually. Or more concerned about our children making the cheer team than we are about how their walk with the Lord is. More concerned about, about how our business is doing and, and how much we're making than we are about 
how our family is doing spiritually and how we are doing spiritually. And my challenge to you this morning is to not, to not be angry at me for what I'm saying, but that we would admit where we're really at. You know, the book of Titus, chapter 1, it says they claim to know God, but their actions deny him. They're detestable, disobedient, and unfit for doing anything good. Let me ask you, you know, does, does that fit your description? You know, you claim to know God, but, but by your actions, by the things you do, by the places you go, by the things that you allow to come into your mind, you really deny him. By what comes out of your mouth and, and by, the, by the way you act on a daily basis at the place you work or the school that you go, do you deny him? Because that's what a practical atheist does. Paul here says, you know, they claim to know God, but their actions denied him. They believed in him, yet their actions showed something else. You know, the heart of this series is rooted in this question, do I really know God personally? I mean, do I really know him personally, or do I just know about him? You know, when, before I knew Verda, I used to hang around with her brother, Dean, and, you know, we played a lot of ball together, and, and if somebody would have asked me who Verda Mullet is, I would have said, yeah, I know who she is. Now, did I really know her? No, I just, I knew who she was. You know, when we started dating and, and um, spending more time together, I could say, yeah, I know Verda Mullet. But then as, as, as that relationship grew and, and, and we got married, then I could, I could really say, yeah, I know Verda Detweiler. And now almost 25 years later, I can tell you I know her a lot better today than I did on October 18th, 1986, when we first got married. I know her intimately. Now, there are still things that, that I'm learning about her, but I know her more intimately today than I did back in 1986 when we got married. And that's the way our relationship with God is. You know, some of you sit here this morning and, and you know who God is, but you don't know him intimately. You know, there are some people that believe in God or believe that there is a God, but they don't really know him. And, and that may be you this morning. You believe in God, you know who he is, but you don't really know him. Because, you see, just knowing God isn't enough. How many of you believe that demons are going to go to heaven? Does anybody here believe that demons will go to heaven? Well, you know, in the book of James, James tells us that even the demons believe in the one God. Even the demons believe. Do you, do, you, do you know that demons, they understand and know God better than we do? A demon is, 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 is very orthodox in their belief and understanding of God. 
And yet, is that understanding and, and knowledge about God going to get them to heaven? No. They know about God. They know him, but, but they don't really know him. In James chapter 2, verse 19, it says, You say that, that you have faith, for you believe that there is one God? Well, good for you. Even the demons believe in this. And they tremble in terror. You know, the demons know enough about God. They have enough knowledge of him that, that it makes them tremble. And yet, yet, how many of us does our knowledge of God and our understanding of him make us tremble? It's because we don't have a right view of God. There are people that believe in God, but their actions reveal a lack of relationship. In 1 John chapter 2, it addresses this very issue in, in, in verse 3. 1 John chapter 2, verse 3, it says, We know that we have come to know him if what? We know about him? No, it says, We know that we have come to know him if we obey his commands. The man who says, I know him, but does not do what he commands, it says he is a liar and the truth is not in him. But anyone who obeys his word, God's love is truly made complete in him. And this is how you will know that, we are, that you are in him. Verse 6, whoever claims to live in him must walk as what? As Jesus did. In other words, what, what John is saying is here, look, if you know, if you claim to know Jesus and your actions don't reflect it, you're a liar and the truth isn't in you. If you know him, then you will act the way that Jesus acted. People will see something different in you. And we recognize that we have come to know him when we obey him and when we obey what's in his word. That's how people will know, or how you will know, that you know him. You know, there are people that can quote scripture. They have head knowledge, but it's never made it to here. You know, there are people that are going to miss heaven by 18 inches because what's here never goes to here. Having a knowledge and knowing who God is isn't enough. And if that is you, you know that. If you know who he is but have never confessed him as Lord and Savior, that's not enough. We have a second group of practical atheists who believe in God and know him, but don't know him very well. Sort of at that stage where, where Vert and I were uh, when we first started, the, I knew her. I knew her fairly well, but I didn't know her well or intimately. And, you know, I wrestled with this one this week. I said, you know, do I know, do I know God well? Do I know him intimately? You know, you believe in him, but, but he's not Lord of your life. You know, you may, we may look the part. We may go to church every Sunday and, and do all the right stuff and say all the right things. But if you turn with me to, to Revelation chapter 2, there was a church in Revelation that, that they did all the right things. They said all the right stuff. And yet Jesus still had this rebuke for them. 
And this is to the church in Ephesus. In, in Revelation chapter 2, verses 1 through 5, this is what Jesus says. It says, to the angel in the church at Ephesus, write, These are the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand and who walks among the seven gold, golden lampstands. I know your deeds. I know your hard work and your perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked men. That you, have, that you have tested those who claim to be apostles but are not and have found them false. You, you, are, you have persevered and endured hardship for me, for my name, and have not grown weary. Now let me, that sounds like a pretty good church, doesn't it? That sounds like a really good group of people that are on track. They know God. But let, let, let's go a little bit further. In verse 4 it says, But this I hold against you. You have forsaken your first love. That is their love of Jesus Christ. He says, Remember the heights from which you have fallen and repent and do the things you did at first. If you do not repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. Those are some pretty intense, hard words. He says, if you have lost your first love, if you have lost your love for Jesus Christ, he says, repent, or I'm going to come. I'm going to get rid of you. They knew God. They did all the right things. They had a knowledge, but their actions didn't line up. And if that's where you're at this morning, what I want to encourage you to do is, you know what? Allow the Spirit of God to transform your life. Acknowledge what's wrong in your life and begin the process of change. You know, maybe you've prayed that prayer to ask Jesus to come into your heart. You have a basic understanding, but, you know, you've gone on living your life just like you've lived it before. Nothing about you has changed. You have knowledge, but you're not changed. You've been informed about God, but not transformed. Now, does that mean that I'm saved or not? If this is me, if I know him, but don't know him, well, am I saved or am I not? You know, that's not for me to decide. You know, that's something that you have to ask God. You know him, but you don't know him well. You know, in the book of Galatians, there was, there was a group of people that Paul was writing to. And, you know, they had, they had made this commitment. They had, they had been living as pagans and then, and then changed. But now listen to what Paul says to them in, in Galatians chapter 4, verse 8. He says, formerly, when you did not know God, when they were pagans, when you did not know God, you were slaves to those who by nature are not gods. But now that you know God, or rather are known by God, how is it that you're turning back to those weak and miserable principles? Do you wish to be enslaved by them all over again? You know, is that describing you? You knew God at one time. You know, you were a slave to the bondages of sin. You came out of that, but now you're slowly going back. 
You know, you fall back into those old ways and, and now you're enslaved by that stuff that you'd been freed from. You know him, but you don't know him well. And this third group of believers is, this is where I want to be, but feel like I fall far short. You know, after 25 years, I have an intimate relationship with my wife. I know her very well, and therefore I know what to do to please her. But I also at times screw up and can take her off. But I know, I know what pleases her. I know what brings her joy. But there are people who believe in God. They know him intimately and serve him wholeheartedly. That's what I want for me. That's what I want for you. I want to know him intimately and I want to serve him with all of my heart and give him all of my life, all of me, not just a little bit. I don't want to just know about him. I want to know him intimately. So what does it mean to know God intimately and to serve him wholeheartedly? That's what I wrestled. What does that mean? And you know, I think it begins with a relationship with him, spending time every day in his word, getting to know him better. It's having an ongoing conversation all day long with him. It's not just this thing of this is where I'm at and, and this is where God's at. And whenever I get in trouble or I have a need, I throw up a prayer and say, Hey, Lord, this is what I need right now. I'm in trouble. You know, that's for so many of us. That's where we're at in that relationship. It's a, it's a me here, God here, and, and when I need something, I'll call on you. But otherwise, don't bother me. You see, when I have an intimate relationship with him, I am constantly, minute by minute, I am in relationship with him. And I long to spend time with him. And, and see, this intimate relationship begins by having him. He speaks to me through his word. He speaks to me through his Holy Spirit. And I become more and more sensitive to him as the days go by, as that relationship deepens, just like I've become a little more sensitive to my wife over the years. So I allow him to speak to me, and he speaks to me through other people. He speaks to me through circumstances, and it's because I've become more sensitive. I'm listening, and I'm hearing. That's what it means to become more intimate. And the more I know his heart for my life, the more effective my service will be. You see, ministry, service, volunteering, that should come out of the overflow of my heart from the relationship. It's not a do kind of, of, of religion. That it's, it's out of the overflow of my heart I do ministry. I don't do ministry to be approved by God. I do it because of my love for him. Even in Psalm 63, verses 1 through 4, I love David's heart. Listen to this. This is what I desire for Dwayne Detweiler. It says, God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. Notice how David said, he didn't say, uh, about some, talk about some other God. He said, God, you are, you are my God. And earnestly I seek you. You know, can, is that the way that you, is, is he your God or is he some distant God that, that somebody else, your parents or somebody else worships? 
Is he your God? Paul says, or, or um, David says, I earnestly, I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My body longs for you in this dry and weary land where there is no water. He says, I have seen you in the sanctuary and beheld your power and your glory. And because your love is better than life, my lips will glorify you. I will praise you as long as you live. And in your name, I will lift up my hands. Paul says, why am I getting Paul and David all mixed up? David says, you know, I know, I've seen you, I've experienced you, and therefore I can't help but sing your praises. I can't help but lift up my hands in worship to you. It's just, it's just coming out of me. And that's how our relationship with our Heavenly Father should be as we get to know him more and more and more. It should just come bursting out of us, that desire to worship and to serve him. I've seen you. I know what you're like. I've experienced you. And as a result of that, I'm not the same. The things of this world no longer satisfy me. The old standard has been changed because when I get to know him, the old way of life has changed. It's gone away. You know, there's a time in my life where I had no desire for this. You know, a couple weeks ago, um, I, was, um, I was with the youth group, and we gave them Bibles um, at a, at a, for the, to the seniors. And, and you know, as I was, as I was uh, giving them the Bibles, I thought about that. You know, when I was a senior in high school, I wouldn't have wanted a Bible because I had no desire to know God. I was living for myself. I was living in sin. But, but... That's the greatest gift that we can give our children is the word of God. And we teach them by example because as I grow, I realize that God's word becomes more and more and more important to me. That relationship with him becomes more and more and more important to me. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. This is what I long for for me. This is what I long for for the Fairlawn Mennonite Church, that we would know God intimately and that we would serve him wholeheartedly. That we would be transformed, that we would be made different. Because we know him. So how do I get there? You know, how do I get from knowing who God is to knowing him intimately and desiring more and more of him every day? Is it about doing more works? Is it about doing more stuff? Is it about trying to become better and better as the days? No. Let me, turn with me to Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12. The first 11 chapters of Romans, Paul is explaining the beauty of salvation and and what all Jesus Christ did for us by coming to this earth, by dying on the cross, by being raised from the dead. And then in chapter 12, he says, Therefore, because of what has happened in the first 11 chapters, this is how you ought to live. He says, Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, in view of what Jesus Christ did for us, 
when he came to earth and died and was resurrected. Offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. This is your wholehearted serving him, offering our bodies as living sacrifices. But in verse 2, it tells us how we get there. See, it begins with being transformed. Verse 2 says, do not conform any longer to the patterns of this world. And that's so hard in, in, in the society we live in to not become conformed to the way the world does stuff. But that's what, that's what I'm seeing is we're becoming more and more conformed to the ways of the world and we don't even know it. Paul says, don't be transformed. Don't be conformed to the patterns of this world. But he says, be transformed by the renewing of your minds. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good and pleasing and perfect will. So it begins by our minds being transformed. And the way that I do that is I think one of the first things that I have to do if my mind wants to be transformed is I have to stop the flow of toxins into my mind. The things that poison my mind, I have to get rid of. Because if you put garbage in, you get garbage out. And, and for, for some crazy reason, we have this thought that we can watch raunchy sitcoms and, and perverted little cartoon characters and, 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 and immoral um, reality TV shows. We can take all of that stuff in and, and something good will come out. It doesn't work that way. We're kidding ourselves if we think it will. If we're filling our minds with that stuff and you think it doesn't affect you, I would very kindly say, that's baloney. That is not true. That's not the way it works. Because you are what you eat. And we have to quit filling our minds with garbage. And we have to fill then begin to fill it with his word. Because you can't empty it out and expect your mind to stay empty. It will fill up with something. You know, in the book of Matthew, chapter 12, Jesus said, when an, when an evil spirit comes out of a man and it goes through and... and um, it goes through places seeking rest and does not find it. It will return to the house that left. And when it arrives and it finds the house unoccupied, swept clean and put in order, then he goes and takes with him seven other spirits more wicked than himself. And he goes and lives there. See, Satan will continually come back. And if you try to change, if, you've, if you empty your mind of the, of the, of the, 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 the immoral stuff, the, of the negative things that, that this world has to offer and you don't fill it with God's word, eventually that void will again be consumed and filled with, with the things of the world, with the stuff, with, with the... There's a word I want to use, but I really can't use it up here this morning. But that's what we're filling our minds with. We have to fill it with God's word. We have to fill it with his truth. And the way I have to do that is, is I have to make time. I have to find a place. 
I have to, 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 you know, be systematic about the way you approach God's Word. Pick a book of the Bible and work from, from the first chapter to the end of the book. And every day be, be looking at it, asking God to show you one thing in there to transform your mind. You see, our actions won't change, or not for long, if our minds aren't transformed. And if we want our minds to be transformed, we have to put the right stuff in that mind. Psalm 119 verse 9 says, How can a young man keep his ways pure? It says, By living according to your word. Then David goes on, he says, I will seek you with all of my heart. Do not let me go astray from your commands. I have hidden your word in my heart so that I might not sin against you. Praise be to you, O Lord, who teaches me your decrees. David says, in order for a young man to keep his path straight or a young woman to stay on the right track, he says, I have to fill my mind with your word. I have to memorize it. I have to read it. You know, God longs to renew. He longs to renew us. And to have this intimate relationship with us so that we serve him wholeheartedly. Yeah, he doesn't want our service if our minds aren't transformed and we're not doing it with the right attitude and with the right heart. Jesus told his disciples in John chapter 8, says, If you hold to my teachings, you are really my disciples. He says, Then you will know the truth. And he said, the truth is what sets you free. It's the truth that sets you free. It's God's word that sets you free. It's what transforms the mind. So I have to empty myself of the garbage or shut off, cut off the garbage. And it's sort of like if I would drink Mountain, if all I would do is drink Mountain Dew day after day after day after day and think that, that I'm going to have a, a buff body like Derek Miller does and be in shape like Derek is, I'm kidding myself. But that's sort of our mindset. We think we can drink Mountain Dew all day long and, and have healthy um, bodies. You have to get rid of the stuff. But if I would just eat good stuff, my body still wouldn't be completely healthy. Then I have to, I have to work out. I have to exercise it. And that's what we have to do with our minds. We have to exercise them with God's word. Put into practice what we read from it. That's what changes us. That's how we can go from knowing who God is to having an intimate relationship with him and serving him with all of our hearts. And if God's been speaking to you and rattling you through this series, I hope today you'll make a choice to know him more intimately and to serve him wholeheartedly. That's my prayer for all of us together. And I'm not perfect in this. I have a lot of work to do, but that's my desire. And as the worship team comes up, this is my prayer for us at the Fairlawn Mennonite Church. It's a prayer out of Ephesians chapter 1. Verses 17 and 18. And, you know, this morning we're going to, you know, if you just need to do business, you know, the altar's open. 
If, if you just know this morning, this is a day where you want to, to make this your commitment, that you are going to know him more intimately, and you're going to serve him wholeheartedly. And today is a day that, that I want you to make that public to everybody. But this is my prayer, if you would stand with me. This is what Paul prayed for the church at Ephesus. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the, glory, the glorious Father, may give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. And I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints and his incomparably great power for us who believe. That is my prayer for the Fairlawn Mennonite Church for myself. That I would know him better and that the eyes of my heart would be enlightened in order that I may know the hope to which he has called me and the glorious riches of his inheritance of the saints. Father, that is our prayer today. And Lord, I pray that we wouldn't just know him anymore, but Lord, we would begin a journey of knowing him intimately, knowing you, Father, intimately, and serving you out of the overflow of our hearts. So Lord, we just... We just give this morning to you. We give this time to you. And, and pray that all of us together would be changed and renewed. And Lord, that we will leave here, go into our community, and out of the overflow of our hearts reflect Christ in incredible ways. It's in your name that we pray.